I grew up buying fabric from the fabric store and there are seamstresses everywhere. And so I would just, you know, refabricate what I would see in magazines because the amount of shops there to buy fashion are very minimal. And then when I moved to America for university and then later my career, it was the entire opposite. There was just so much. And I was working at Goldman Sachs at the moment where I realized I couldn't find product that was those day-to-day products that you just feel great on every day and that the quality doesn't go down through time. And so here we had this dilemma, this, this fact, this fact. I've fact. been almost a decade, decade researching decade. this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Welcome to Unstoppable, a podcast which shares successful founder and entrepreneur stories, like Jessica Heron, founder of Stella and Dot, tech maven Randy Zuckerberg, and Lisa Sugar, the creator of the multi-million dollar media company Pop Sugar. We dive deep into the entrepreneurial mindset, what it takes to create a scalable business, how to make an impact, the intricacies of funding, and much, much more. Plus, we ask the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden from Unstoppable. We're so excited to hear from Carla and Shilpa today from Koyana. Are you guys all familiar with Koyana? It's like amazing, amazing bags. We're based here in San Francisco with them, but we're going to hear a little bit more about how these guys got started and what is the story and all of the exciting stuff for them going forward too. But first, uh, welcome, guys. Super excited to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So how did you two get started? How did you meet? How did you like, what is, what is the backstory of the two of you coming together to do this? So we met back in 2009 um, when I was in business school and I had gone to business school to take Kuyana from an idea that was on my business school essay into reality. And I was taking a class on entrepreneurship and um, I think once a week, maybe twice a week, um, prospective students come in and sit yeah. in the back of a class. And one of those weeks was the week that Shilpa had come to visit Stanford. And uh, she sat in my, the back of my class and then to introduce herself. And I needed her for a project that I was working on separate from Kuyana. And she needed to get into business school. And so we made friends at the end of that class and kept in touch. And we worked on this small project together. Um, And then fast forward a year into um, Kuyana, kind of, you know, the beginning stages of Kuyana that I was working on. I um, sought Shilpa out and her business school to see if she wanted to join the Kuyana endeavor and, and join me. That's so fun. Wait, so go back to this this program. So so you're at Stanford, yeah. And so and you came to just like look at the class. You hadn't applied to school yet. I was in the process of applying, and so I was just visiting just the to see what the yeah. school looked like. Mm-hmm. And then and so people actually come in and like take on projects in order to well, show no. the school. <laughs> 
like I've never heard of this before. I know, right? That's like so not this, usually happen. I know. This is awesome. No, we um no, actually no, they just come in for a class and leave. Uh, but they do introduce themselves and then sometimes they approach students at the end of the class to ask questions about Stanford and you know, life as a student. And so we just got acquainted that day. And then uh, Shilpa introduced herself as a UX designer and I needed help from a UX designer for this project that I was doing on this other class. So <laughs> and so, yeah. And so um, I asked Shilpa if she wanted to help with that. And then Shilpa said later that, you know, one of the reasons why she was really interested in helping me in that project was so that we could get to know each other and maybe I would write her a recommendation to get into school. Oh, that's so It's a win-win. Okay. But the now entire, all the entire kind of thing was very, like, serendipitous. So did you end up going to business school then? I did. I ended up going to Berkeley. Carla was at Stanford. Oh, not uh, Stanford but... after all of that? I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, but you stayed in touch. Yeah. After that. So. Yeah. For like a couple of years after that. And so you were still incubating this idea mm-hmm. in your head. And well, yeah, no, I had established the business. We had a couple of collections that I was selling. We had a website, <laughs> and customers, early stage property. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and then it was time to go big and, you know, raise money and, um, it's time to not do it alone anymore. I did have a couple of interns help me in those early days for free. Um, but, um, no, when it, when it was real that Kuyana was, you know, that I was into something and, um, it was time to make it big and raise money. Yeah. I kind of push the go pedal and, uh, awesome. yeah, sort of co-founder. And d- is there meaning behind Kuyana? Yeah, so there is. What, what is um, it means to love. Um, and, you know, the whole purpose of our brand is to instill the philosophy of fewer better, which means really own and buy what you love. I know today Mary Kondo has helped us a lot with actually describing that as spark joy. Uh, but, uh, but How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally 
first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Means to love and um, it's in Quechua, which is the language of the first makers of our first collection. So that's so great. And so you, so you stayed in touch and then at what point, like how big were you guys when you ended up joining into the team? I mean, we were, we were pretty small. I mean, the main, um, two. very small. <laughs> Oh, that's small. We had it so, so you were in two. Yeah. 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 Like 
I think some interns before that, like, yeah. did, like uh, the summer. For, so, like, I, I doubled the company so... employee count. Um, but, we, yeah. but there was already, like, the great thing was that there was a, a proof of concept. Um, you know, a lot of people along the way ask us, like, what it takes to start a company. And, you know, we already, Carla had quickly established product market fit with very little capital investment. That's so awesome. um, that, you know, was like a, a very big head start to know that what we had was already working. And so why did you want to do this, Carla? Were you in fashion before or what sort of like made you kind of say, okay, I'm going to go and do this, you know, even in business school, what yeah. was sort of the core? <laughs> I was a frustrated consumer. I have always loved fashion and I, you know, I grew up in a country where I had zero access to fashion, only fashion magazines. And so where was this? Ecuador. Okay. Um, and so I grew up buying fabric from the fabric store that, you know, there are fabric stores everywhere and there are seamstresses everywhere. And so I would just, you know, refabricate what I would see in magazines because the amount of shops yeah. there to buy fashion are very minimal. And then, you know, when I moved to America for university and then later my career, it was the entire opposite. There was just so much, but um, nothing that necessarily filled that gap for me. And I was working at Goldman Sachs at, you know, at the moment where I realized, you know what, there's just, I mean, I couldn't find product that was what's labeled now as essentials or those day-to-day -day products that you just feel great on every day and that the, the quality doesn't go down through time. But more importantly, also, you know, there was, there was very little connection that I saw the consumer having with the products that they were buying so that they would be more valuable to, to her, you know, knowing where they're made or what the material is or whether it's good quality or bad quality, even that just subtle distinction of knowing, oh, I bought something that's great quality. And I didn't see that even just by shopping with my friends. So there were a lot of very small reasons kind of that all accumulated into this bigger thing, which was, you know, this brand that would kind of solve it all. <laughs> the tagline, fewer, better things. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah, we that, came up with that yeah, much later. It was, it, it's funny because that wasn't a tagline that was there at the beginning, but that was the intention from the very beginning. And then we, you know, we had we, a couple of years into the, the beginning of Kuyana in 2013, when it was time to go to market officially and start really doing marketing campaigns because we had spent only we had spent the first two years um, building the supply chain and the product and making that really perfect. We sat down and we were trying to articulate what is it exactly that we're doing? Like, what's the value proposition of our products that customers can, you know, from but like our elevator pitch really yeah. <laughs> turned into tagline, yeah. and uh, and it turned out it was fewer better things. And back then. You know, brands weren't really focused on making fewer better things. And that white gap was wide open. We trademarked fewer better. Um, it's ours. It. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're the only ones that can use it to sell um, to sell product. And so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So yeah. take me back to so the first product yeah. was the a hat. <laughs> I know. I was the hat company. So my business school classmates were like, how's the hat business going? And I was like, oh, man, it's not a hat business, but it's going great. Thanks for buying that hat because they all supported me buying hats. But it was just the, I mean, it was the easiest thing to do from a manufacturing standpoint. Because from being from Ecuador, that's where Panama hats are made. Yeah. Made. And I knew who the best makers were. And I could just fly home and, yeah, you know, kind of do, it. do the whole thing from my dad's house and just you know not spend money even in hotels but it turns out it's a really hard product to sell online i mean how many people know their 
um, hat size, yeah. not many, right? That's what and I was so, going to say. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the premise or the, the, the goals at the beginning was to be accessories only so mm-hmm. that, you know, we limit return rates and et cetera, but you know, hats are size. And so it doesn't really apply to hats. Yeah, uh, really so tough. I was like yeah. plus and minuses, but it worked and it was fine because at that point, because we weren't, I mean, the, I wasn't really marketing the company online. I was really, it was all product market fit. And so most of the sales of that collection were actually done in person. I mean, it was all grassroots trunk shows and, you know, fairs and all sorts of things. It was just like, I of, remember the trunk shows. So oh, yeah. I think in your Tons early days, shows. I went to one of your trunk shows. Oh, you did? Like, yeah. Where? Really early. I don't, it, it was somewhere here. Yeah, it was somewhere oh. here. In fact, I think it was. I think yeah. it was, um, and I can't even remember who was holding it. And it was, um, but anyway, it was it was interesting. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, we had so many people host trunk shows for us. I mean, it was it was so great. We, we really leaned on, you know, my business school friends, friends. And then when Shilpa joined all her business school friends and friends, and we just, we did so much grassroots and yeah. in-person sales. And so even though it wasn't the best product for online, it was fine because we were mostly selling and yeah, then I remember person. having your product when I went to an every um, mother counts. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. of, yeah. yeah. And um, and that was here in the city. Yeah. And you guys had done like a small little bag uh-huh. for for it. And yeah. I remember I was like, oh my god! Like, I remember <laughs> at that point, like seeing you guys were doing bags, and I hadn't sort of. I think it really, it was just hats. I was like, how did I miss that they were doing bags? Yeah. So what was that transition? Yeah, it was, it was the, I mean, really that was the ultimate goal to do leather and it took time to get there, you know, first straw because I'm from Ecuador and then alpaca because it's right next to Ecuador, Peru. Yeah. <laughs> I had a really good friend from business school that helped me, um, you know, figure out the best providers of that. And then Argentina was next for leather. And so it was kind of like the third in line. Um, But it was great because... But they quick stop in India for... Oh, yeah, we did a quick stop in India. That's true. When Shilpa joined, we did India. Yeah. Yeah. Shilpa's family's from India, so why not, right? (laughs) But no, with with leather, it was was really one... I mean, it was one of the target... product types and um it is it ends up being you know the majority of of our sales leather goods and there's a huge or there continues to be but um back then even more a really large white gap for well-priced well-made leather goods yeah no Um, so that's really what um pushed our brand forward and to the front line and that really fuel the velocity of, of our growth. And so where's the majority of products now? With made? where they're made. Um, so we make them around the world. And now you know that leather is, you know, the majority of our sales. And so mm-hmm. we make leather products in the three best countries uh, that we've that we found in terms of just facilities and leather quality. So all of our leather itself comes from Italy and Argentina. It's so nice. It's and like it's, a super soft. So, yes. And yeah. it lasts um, I know nothing were, about yeah. leather other than the fact that I love soft leather. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and it, it smells is. delicious. And when you walk into our stores, you can just smell the leather, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's where the leather itself comes from. And then we manufacture also in Italy. We manufacture the bags in Argentina as well. And we manufacture in Turkey, which turns out to be a country with incredible talent for cut and sew of leather. 
So we, we have some productions there as well. That's awesome. Yeah. What are the challenges of doing it overseas and like trying to just take me through some of the challenges yeah. of, of that world? There was this class at Stanford called, it was funny because we used to laugh at the name, but it's true. It's different countries are different. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I can describe our supply chain. Um, every country is different. Every vendor is different. And we really maximize um, the partnership when we understand each other's cultures um, because, and you know, um, the fact that Kuyana means to love sometimes is like a cheesy thing, but it's true, right? When we find uh, partners that actually love what they're doing and factories that love to make product for the long run because they're proud of it um, and we understand how to work together, we make product that's just incredible and beautiful. And, you know, each side takes the ownership that um, each side needs to take. And it's just a, a very loyal relationship. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of beauty in making product in different countries I feel fortunate to be from Ecuador where I understand a lot of, you know, cultures outside of the U.S. and and I've learned, you know, to about other cultures as well. There are some cultures, though, and we learned along the way that there are certain countries which I mean, and, and they're like our goal with Kuyana is to make, you know, made in any country mean just as much as it does for some other yeah. country. Right. So like why can't made in China, made in India, mean the same as made in Italy, right? Like if you do it well with respect and integrity and quality, they, they can have the similar kind of ethos yeah. and significance. But, you know, when you're working in certain countries, like there, there are certain corners that certain cultures may cut or they value different things. And that doesn't mean that they're, it's negative about that country. It's just that for our business model, it didn't exactly work. How has it been being a woman going into these countries and, you know, just basically saying we want to get the stuff done yeah. and get it made? Has that been challenging? Or I always like to say it shouldn't be challenging. It should, you know, just we use it to our advantage. I mean, the types of relationships that we've been able to build with the owners of That's so awesome. many of these factories are so strong, like, you know, our factory in Argentina I mean you know I call him Papa Ruben like yeah so you had father <laughs> or like friend of a friend that made introductions yeah or just through business contacts and so I think that no there's a lot of goodness that you know can come out from that and think that you know as you know we're smart we walk in and we have business to do together and we figure out a way of getting it done and um yeah, but I don't think we've had challenges for being one. I mean, some cultures, yes, we're just dealing with men, but that's okay too. That's yeah. the same thing we as just, in, in yeah. here, you know, previous jobs where maybe I was the only girl sitting in like a math class, for example. We're, we are like, we're always entrepreneurial about everything, right? Yeah. So, like, if that happens to pose a cultural problem, we figure out a solution for that that's to our advantage. Yeah. Right. So, like, you just find the right person who can make the intro. Or, you know, like set up the meeting in the right way and then we'll take it from there. So we just usually yeah. view it as an opportunity. To and now that you guys are growing too, I think you're able to go into these places and oh, yeah. really show credibility. I mean, I remember when we were starting Hint, I mean, I was like literally trying like in secret to figure out who was going to co-pack our product. Yeah. And I would call a bunch of Coke packers and they were like, oh, did you work at Coke or Pepsi before? And I'm like, no. And then they practically hang up the phone on me and then... 
I found a woman in Chicago Mm -hmm. who just like believed in me. She thought it was such a crazy idea. And I was paying her some money up front in order to run the first product. But, you know, she said, we'll see how it goes. And she was going to make a little bit of money and maybe she had some line time and that's Mm -hmm. why she did it. But, you know, it's, it's kind of the same industry. I mean, it's mostly men and our industry too. And I mean, now the, world like gets easier as you grow and people are able to say wow like this is like a real Mm -hmm. company but in the beginning I mean I always tell entrepreneurs that too that it's just like I think in every industry it's not that easy right like to just you know get that like that person to say yes and actually believe in you and do it but I just have you guys read Shoe Dog the film. I have not yet, but I've been wanting it's to. It's been sitting on my yeah. desk for like two years and I finally read it and it totally like you guys, have there's so <laughs> many, Phil Knight almost, yeah. and it almost never was like, right. and there's all these manufacturing stories and him just like getting on a plane and like going into their plants and who did he believe more, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, I mean, it's such a great, highly recommend awesome. it. Yeah. Like I was just like, oh my God, like Phil Knight, yeah. <laughs> new like savior on so many fronts. I mean, it was it's so, so inspiring, but I mean, you guys have done so many things that were hard. I mean, make the product, go and figure out manufacturing mm-hmm. in all these different countries. Um, you, you know, sell online, but you're also selling in stores. And so your stores in San Francisco, yeah, that we, was your flagship. That's our flagship. Yeah. And we own, there were, you know, like we own every customer touch point. So mm-hmm. I think some of the parts that people don't realize is that we didn't actually even outsource um, fulfillment. So it's a Guiana employee that packs and ships every box. That's awesome. Um, we own our own distribution center. We own all of our touch points. We don't do any wholesale. So every customer interaction is ours from customer service emails to the store retail experience, to all of our social channels, to email, to the website, all of it's in-house um, to the box experience. So we truly are working to be you know, a a fully omni-channel company, not multi-channel, which a lot of people kind of mix the two, but really giving the customer experience like the the best possible treatment. And that's actually what we mean by direct-to-consumer because a lot of times direct-to-consumer can just be, uh, can just signify that they cut out the middleman, right? They just like give you that price markup. But for us, it's really about ensuring that the customer journey with the brand is the best it possibly can be. Have you been tempted by like... The Nordstroms of the world, like coming to you and asking you to do stuff like that. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're that's- always looking into how you know, as we grow, we we are always considering. Yeah, right? we may not always be the sole distributor. However, you know, if 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 we were to find a way of making it work, we want to make sure that you know the customer journey, as Shilpa explained. It, you know, the very best, then we, we can control that. So just, you know, and how the is. brand expresses itself to the customer and not, you know, the way that the product is sold to that customer. Because ultimately, we're a brand that, you know, we're fewer better. We don't push customers to buy. Like, that's not what our sales team is trained to do. We actually train our team to teach customers how to buy, and then they should make that decision and walk out feeling great about their purchase, right? And so nuances like that make it very hard for us to fall into that traditional framework of letting go of any of those touch points. Uh, and then, you know, there's the the data point. We own yeah. all of our data. We know everything about our customer. Um, and so if we were to find an arrangement, we need to make sure we are able to get 
those numbers and protect um, those numbers um yeah and uh and yeah i would say that those are like the two key things now there's a third one which is margins uh which you know some position that as the number one mm-hmm. um kind of unresolved uh piece for direct to consumer to be able to sell through more traditional wholesale channels but i think there are ways of making that work mm-hmm. so i wouldn't consider that to be be the most challenging piece of of that partnership for from working and whether it's a Nordstrom or no Amazon or anybody else those first two points uh yeah no need 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 to be more well, creatively it's, sold it's challenging I mean the data side of it I mean you hit the nail on the head because I think it's it's definitely I mean we sell through you know stores like Target and Whole Foods but mm-hmm. we also sell through Amazon and then I mean we have 40 percent of our direct-to-consumer business is on our site at drinkable.com. And so, um, and so for us, it, I mean, it's, it's funny. I actually mentioned this to a banker the other day and he said, I've never heard Amazon described as a customer acquisition tool by anybody. And I said, like, at the end of the day, Amazon has a selection. They have a buyer and they pick, you know, yeah. one of, they pick a subset of our drinks and they put them or our sunscreen or whatever, and they put it on the site. And then the consumer like goes and buys there because it's convenient. The price is right, whatever it is, but we can't control like mm-hmm. the price. I mean, yeah. we don't get the data back, but there's a lot of these consumers that come to our site because there's a bigger selection. Mm-hmm. They feel like, even though this isn't true, they feel like they get the newest batches yeah right, that are there. And, and then also the subscription side mm-hmm. of the business, I think is, is something else where Amazon, you know, their subscription is just one way and ours is very yeah. like customizable. So I could totally see you guys going in that direction, but the reality is like, it really boils down to the data and mm-hmm. sort of how much do you care about that as you grow? Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of avenues that we are in now where like I mean people always say to me should I buy it on Target or should I buy it on your website and I'm like like you are the customer and you control that journey yeah like I'm like you go do whatever you want to do right right and and in the end as our sales grow offline they grow online yeah and vice versa it just keeps like going like that at some point so. Anyway, it's an interesting sort of yeah. challenge, I think. The uh, what's the best thing to do ultimately along the way? Yeah, and, I mean, for us, like like Carla said, the distribution mix really just depends on what gives the customers the things that they want. Yeah, like, and even walking um, into your stores, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's going to be people that are going to walk into your store mm-hmm. and not purchase, but then they're going to go online because yep. they're going to be, that's me. It, yeah. Like, then I'll be thinking about something and, and then I'll be online. like, then I'll go online and then I'll go and buy mm-hmm. it or I've had it before and yeah. I want to give it as a gift or buy it again. So I think that that's the that's the interesting side of this as well. So so how many years have you guys been? So 2011 is when Kuyana started. And yeah, and she'll be joined in 2012. It's actually our eighth birthday. Yeah, Kuyana's eighth oh, birthday was Happy this birthday. Weekend. Sunday, awesome. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. And so you have stores in New York 
And two in Los Angeles? Two in Los two Angeles. Angeles. Yeah. We have one in Pacific Palisades and then one in Venice Beach. Do customers vary by San Francisco versus LA? Like there's rivalry yeah. that goes on between the, <laughs> you know, the North and the it South. Like, who's cooler? Who has better fashion? No, I don't know about that <laughs> question, but um, they're definitely... I mean, the main difference is that our San Francisco store is a second floor experience. Mm-hmm. So like... You actually are, you know, you're coming to Guyana when you come into the building, yeah. right? You're like seeking us out. So it's a different customer mix that we see in San Francisco that way. So like, you know, a higher repeat customer versus Advocating and Palisades is more like, um, it's more diverse in that perspective, like a lot more walk-in traffic, people yeah. who are not aware of us. So it's just a very different customer profile. Every market's awesome. very different. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. I will not answer who has better fashion, but... <laughs> They're all very, very or New York. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just say New York has better fashion, altogether, right? <laughs> so, just kidding. So, yeah. are you guys selling internationally now, or uh, not yet? No. I mean, if no. you are an international customer, you can order. <laughs> yeah, and we will ship it to you. But we are not set up yet to do that in a competitive way. Um, but we will. <laughs> yeah, but not yet. Not quite yet. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in the same boat, <laughs> yeah. exactly the same boat. So for people who are listening, I mean, what do you, what do you think is sort of the biggest challenge? I mean, again, like going back to some of the challenges that I think you guys had everything from, you know, finding manufacturers to actually figuring out the selection to, you talked about, you just closed your series C, mm-hmm. like what, so, and you and I chatted a little bit about like I always I'm very honest about raising money that yeah. it's like the worst thing that I, I think it's probably the worst thing that entrepreneurs like do it's a, it's <laughs> a challenging know? process like, I think sure. it's personally I like think that it's just like not so <laughs> yeah. much fun but um how but what do you think is like the key thing that people should be aware of when they're raising money like when I mean you guys have gotten mm-hmm. your C raise like what do you think is like the big thing yeah to be aware of yeah. the amount of time it takes. Yeah. So um, our series C was a little different because we weren't so we weren't officially on the road raising. So I don't know what it's like to raise a series C, but you know, in the previous round, at least in our seed, it just takes a long time. And I think that the amount of distraction it creates into the business until you go through it, mm-hmm. you don't understand it, even though people will tell you. It's like, yeah, you know, it feels like it's like presentations and you're just meeting with people. No, you know, you're doing a lot of work in between and just getting, you know, it's it's, it's a, just a lot of work. And I think that there needs to be a lot of planning done before fundraising so that the business can continue on, you know, the path it needs to go to while yeah. the fundraising exercise happens. And when you have a bigger team, that's easier, right? But when you're usually doing your seed round, you know, there'll be kind of a dip in the performance yeah. <laughs> while yeah. you're out raising. It's a full-time <laughs> job while you have another full-time job, which yeah. is like, I, I don't think people realize how much time that takes. And so the whole time you're like raising money, you want to get back to work. What do you, you are working. So it's like, what do you think thing. were the key points where they like what people were asking you about? I mean, was it like team? Was it growth? Was it like, what were like? Yeah. The- I think of different stages, it's the questions are different, but for yeah, our seed round was really product market fit team. and team. Mm-hmm. Those two are the key things. Mm-hmm. And what um, like what what is the team going to bring to this problem space? Like how are you going to solve it differently? Um, which is very like you don't have like the examples necessarily as many at your fingertips as you do later in your business. So you have to use what you have that you've gotten to be as scrappily as possible. 
And then you have to really lean on just the, the caliber of the people. Did you feel like your existing, I mean, you were at sea, did you feel like your existing investors like also helped? Like, do people look at sort of like, oh, who else is like invested in this too? I feel like that was something for me that people really, you know, looked at like, oh, that person is invested. And like, that must be like, that gets credibility. I think as you grow your cap table, Mm -hmm. I think that that kind of stuff really makes sense. So I always tell entrepreneurs too, like, you know, it's one thing to get money in the door, but I do really believe that like the people, like they sort of speak to it. I mean, we have like 70% of our cap tables women too. Yeah. So people are always like, whoa, like, you know, you guys have a lot of women who have invested in the mm-hmm. company. And so anyway, I'm always like, you yeah, know, telling people that it's like, it's one thing to get the check, but I think if it's also, if you can think like, is this somebody that's actually you know, going to be on paper looked great, but also maybe can also make some introductions too along the way. I think that's such an important piece of it. For sure. It's both, as well. it goes both ways. And it's hard when you're asking for money to think about that part because you're just yeah. hoping somebody will, you know, invest in your idea, but it really is a partnership. So you have to be cognizant of who you're partnering with too and make yeah. sure you're taking money from the right person yeah, totally. um, for many reasons beyond just connections too, just to make sure that your working styles are similar, that you're really adding value both ways. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you guys have just followed a passion, right? To go and create something too. I mean, I speak a lot on college campuses and I'm always telling people like, I think that if you can actually go do a job Mm -hmm. eventually, maybe not right away, that you really, really like are passionate about, that you believe in it and you know, maybe you like to wear it, maybe you like to drink it, whatever. Like, I think it just makes life so much easier, mm-hmm. you know, that you can actually wake up and um, love that. What What would you guys say to that, um, to entrepreneurs or would it would be entrepreneurs that are thinking about creating something? To whether to do, you know, to follow a passion or not. Yeah. I mean, it's so important to be passionate about what you do because it's, you know, it's hard most of the time. It's not an easy thing. Yeah. And, if you're on top of that, if you're not passionate about what you're building, I can't imagine doing this. Right. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there wouldn't really no, be a it's reason, hard. right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy. You know, I always say it's, there's a lot easier ways to make money. So if you're oh, not yes. really that passionate about sort of what you're doing too, I think like that's really, really important. So that's awesome. And also finding people that you like to work with. It's obvious like oh, yes. watching you two interact <laughs> with each other, that that's, such an important piece of it yeah as well super important and the first employees matter i mean you know those are the people that uh will build the dna of the company right um totally and so um yeah all all of that really matters you spend most of the time together is most of your team here in san francisco yeah yeah most of them are here now with retail stores we have uh, people spread um in different cities but most That's of the team awesome. is here. So what's next for you guys? The next Exciting big thing. stuff. Uh, <laughs> now you guys have plenty of money in the bay. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny that the, the answer really is just doing more of what we've done, doing more and more and more and better. And <laughs> That's awesome. we're not necessarily, you know, we're not going to be changing anything. It's really about just doubling down on what we've done from, you know, a product standpoint a team standpoint, you know, a technology standpoint so that we can keep growing um, the essence of what we've built um, and touch more women around the world. That's awesome. 
That's really, really great. So what makes you guys unstoppable? I always ask this question. uh, You've already highlighted a few things, but I'd love to hear from both (laughs) of you guys. What makes us unstoppable? I guess like I'll answer first since I just repeated the question. Um, For me, I like to say, you know, this is one of the values of our company, but I'm just so grateful of the opportunities that I've had in life. I come from a country where most people live under the poverty line and I had the opportunity to leave and get an education in Ivy League school and and now I'm building a business. And so for me, you know, I just, the more I do, the more I feel I owe even more to the world. Um, And it's just, you know, it's a sense of kind of gratefulness um, that makes me unstoppable. That's so great. So do you go back often? You know, I try to, uh, but now I have a son, so that makes it harder. Uh, And also, you know, my first... uh, my first kid was Kuyana. And so even with Kuyana, I think I went when we were making the hats. And after that, it just, you know, once a year at most uh, for Christmas, we are very close with my um, family and my father in particular, who still lives there. They must be so So, proud. (laughs) Well, finally, you know, he realizes it's it's a real business. He was really upset when I left Goldman. He yeah. could not believe I yeah. did that. <laughs> he saw his daughter selling hats, basically. As <laughs> he, he, thought, he used oh to see vendors on the doing? side of the road in Ecuador. So yeah. he, was, yeah. he was a little concerned about that, rightfully yeah. so. <laughs> and I never knew, like, he never told me, of course, because he's like the most supportive father ever. But my sister would be like, you, my dad is really, really upset. Yeah. He doesn't oh know god. why you're doing this. Yeah. Why are you selling hats on the street? And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> So <laughs> there's a bigger vision yeah um but yeah well i think mm-hmm. all dads are like that when <laughs> you know entrepreneurs go on their journey right mm-hmm. it's just and moms too i mean i think it's yeah look i was a tech executive and then i had yeah. this big idea to start a beverage company and uh yeah my dad was my dad had been in the food business actually for years he had started a product inside of a large company um, called Healthy Choice, okay. and which was yeah. inside of ConAgra. But you know, he was like, "Oh my God! Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you're living in Silicon Valley. I'm sure you can find a job somewhere in tech." And I was like, "This is just like what I want to do, and I want to solve this problem around you know sugar and sweeteners." And and he was like, "Okay, that's great, but you could make a lot more money like doing yeah. these other things." And then what does he say um, now? So, well, he passed away a few years ago, but he, um, but he was alive when we were, you know, getting going and getting started. And, you know, I think for him, what he realized that, you know, he never really, as he said, didn't have the courage to actually go and live this way. And, um, and it's sort of a whole other point that I tell entrepreneurs too. It's like, it's really easy for me to say, I mean, at the time I, you know, had some money that I had saved up. So we were able to finance the first few years. And I had three kids at the time when I started the company actually ended up having four right when we were launching. But, you know, looking at my dad with like five kids and him saying, I want to go and start a company, like he felt like that was irresponsible Mm -hmm. to actually go start a company when he had to feed us and send us to school and do all of these things. And so I think for him, you know, I gained an appreciation, like, look, it was really, I was always like, you know, why were you so chicken? Like, why didn't you go start a company? And so it was a journey that we both kind of went through because 
you know, it's, it's real. Like I, you know, people are like, Oh, I want to start this company, but I have, you know, family and I've only got one paycheck coming in or whatever. I'm like, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. It'll still be there. Like your idea. But I think, you know, in the case of my dad too, working for a large company when in, you know, the food and beverage space, and I would guess in, in fashion, it's sort of the same thing, but there's like slotting fees for, um, you know, these big placements inside of stores. And so my dad, when I went to him and I said, okay, how do I get it on the shelf at Safeway? He is like, I have no idea because ConAgra did the deal yes. with Safeway. And then they said, okay, we're going to put these products on the shelf. So he was like, I have no idea how that's done. I mean, we deal with like the buyer, but it's already slotted. Yeah. We don't actually sell it right. in there. And so we sell it internally. Who's going to get those slots? And which is, you know, again, yeah. anyone who's kind of worked in, you know, large companies would mm-hmm. probably, I would guess, yeah. you know, it's sort of the same situation. So anyway, it was, it was an interesting kind of realization, but he also, I think thought, you know, if I would have decided to do it earlier in life, you know, before I had kids, like this is the kind of stuff that I would have done. Yeah. And he thought, you know, again, like I think all entrepreneurs that I meet, um, especially the ones that are able to scale their business have to be really comfortable with living with one foot off a cliff. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the earlier you do it in life, the better when you don't have a family and you're not, I mean, you know, totally it's, right. Like and it's times are different risk. too. I right. feel like starting a company is kind of contagious. Like totally. we have the fortunate um, aspect of living in a city where so many people want to start companies or have started companies that it just kind of fuels the fire yeah. for me and you know, going to business school was kind of like two years of uh, like a, a retreat to yeah. make it happen kind of thing and kind of you know because you have to have a lot of courage to do yeah. it and then I think our parents lived in a very different time for them to be able to do that. Yeah. Right? The, well, the, you touched the, on two things. I mean, I think it is more common, but I think especially in the Bay Area, like I always say, more, like exactly. failure. Oh. And like yeah. the number of people who I interviewed, you know, who are previous entrepreneurs and they've decided to sort of like go in and support a company versus actually mm-hmm. like founding another company. Um, but they can articulate the fact that, you know, their company failed or they got fired or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. I mean, that would be something in my dad's generation that you would never tell anybody. Yeah. Like that is like something that is so much more common today. And I think people are, you know, much more understanding and like, I think it's much more credible if people can actually own that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. I think it's important, but I also think we're spoiled in the Bay area that I still don't think that there's certain parts of the country that, you know, you're going to walk around and say, oh, I lost my job or this oh, yeah. failed or whatever. There's the still unique this, environment. Yeah, yeah, there's still this shame that goes with that, mm-hmm. I think, that shouldn't be there because we're all just learning on this journey. And I think it's it's super important. So, um, but yeah, it's that's that was uh, the, the crazy, crazy story. So how about you? So unstoppable. So um, no, I, I think one of the things that makes Carla and I such good partners is that we share a lot of the same values. Right? Mm-hmm. So I also have an incredible appreciation for this moment in time. And, you know, um, my grandfather, he used to beg for two rupees a month so he could go to school. Right. And so like only two generations later, like That's I have awesome. an opportunity to, to maximize what I 
contribute, right? Like to see and push my limits, um, to see to my capacity, right? And so I think that 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 ability wasn't lost on me to to try it to really like see what we were all capable of. So, um, and I think when you approach it that way and you're maximizing for fulfillment, then you can do a lot of really amazing things. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, not only for him to be watching, but your son and yeah. it's, you have a son, right? Yeah. 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 It's, like, it's so too. great. I mean, yeah. it's a whole new generation oh, that you totally. guys are starting above and beyond the product of just being able to go out and disrupt a mm-hmm. business. It's, it's super cool. Okay. So where do people find Kuyana? Where's yeah. the Online. Online. The okay. best. <laughs> Kuyana.com. Or and we have five stores running now. Um, San Francisco, San Stanford, Palisades, Pacific Palisades, Venice Beach, Nabokini, and then um, in Nolita, New York on Prince Street. That's awesome. So if somebody were to tweet something out about Kuyana, what would you want them to say about the company or or you guys? It's the best price per wear in any category, that it really is made with integrity and that it, it lives up to the value of fewer better things. I love it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Super great. Well, thanks to both yeah. of you guys for Thank coming you. and tell us anytime how we can support you guys. Thank you. And thanks for coming. We thanks appreciate so much. it. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.